Charles Darwin published his book on the origin of species in 1859. Darwin uh, was a naturalist and biologist and chemist, uh, and he was one of the first to propose, with, with some measure of evidence, the idea uh, that the variety of living species on planet Earth was not the result of any supernatural process described in Genesis, but uh, millions of years of evolution. According to the theory, <clears throat> as different species adapted and adjusted to different environments, the fittest versions of those species were naturally selected to reproduce more effectively than the rest, propagating their attributes. So over the course of millions of years, Darwin suggested this unguided process has given us the wonderful zootopia of living creatures that we see on Earth. Now, the origin of species changed the nature of scientific inquiry forever as scientists set a new lens through which to view the world. It also triggered a fiery response from the religious community. The clergy everywhere believed that Darwin's account of evolution tragically undermined the authority of Scripture. In their minds, the Bible explains the origin of species as the creative act of God, who alone is responsible for all walking, crawling, swimming, flying things. Christians were terrified that the, evolution of, that the theory of evolution would essentially kill God. And to be sure, plenty of one-time believers have, in fact, walked away from the faith after being exposed to the evidence for evolution. In fact, while he was once a practicing Anglican, Charles Darwin never entirely gave up on the church. But he did admit later in life that he believed the evidence for God's existence was weak. And while his family went to church on Sunday mornings, he was married to a very devout woman, in fact, Darwin eventually bowed out, preferring to enjoy the cathedral of God's creation on long Sunday morning walks. Is it really true, though? Did science kill God? Well, that's a really important question, and it's one we want to talk about this morning. We are in a new series here at Rooftop called Six Reasons. Six Reasons I Might Lose My Faith and Six Reasons I Won't. Uh, this series is part of our desire here at Rooftop to be a place where, where questions and doubts are welcome. You see, skeptics, atheists, they're not idiots. They're not stupid. They have their reasons for not believing in God and Jesus as his son. We want to respectfully, lovingly even, take those reasons very seriously. But Christianity also has its responses to those arguments, and we also have our own reasons for believing what we do, and we want to boldly proclaim those. Now, let me make a couple introductory comments, though, before we get too far into the series. First, I know this series might not be your cup of tea. You might be a capital B believer who has never really had to wrestle with faith. If so, praise God that you have been spared from such intellectual angst. But maybe this series will help you as you engage other people who do struggle to believe. The Apostle Peter writes in the New Testament, everyone should be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Everybody should be prepared to talk about why they think and believe what they do. The other reason, though, this might not be your cup of tea is maybe you just like good old-fashioned Bible study in church, and, and this just isn't going to be what that is. Well, first of all, a gentle reminder that not everything we do here on Sunday morning is for you. But also, we will get back to Bible study in a few months. We just don't want to be so interested in Scripture that we ignore the real questions and the people in the real world are dealing with. Although I should point out that as you get into Scripture, you realize that a lot of questions we're going to be talking about are questions that the Bible itself raises. So the other comment I want to make, though, before we begin, is that this is a very personal series for me, and I'm not going to pretend that it isn't. I'm a Christian 
But I'm a Christian seeker. I want to know the truth. Jesus compels me to want to know the truth. I'm also, as you know, a skeptic. I'm suspicious of people who claim things to be true. I'm willing to believe that they're true. I just want to have good reasons. I've even had my own battle with doubts over the years, as many people have. Years ago, for example, my world was rocked when I reconnected with a couple old friends. One was a childhood buddy of mine, a guy by the name of Jeff. Jeff was a co-leader with me, a fellowship of Christian athletes in high school, earnest, godly guy, one of the smartest people I've ever known, and I'm not exaggerating. Jeff went on to get his PhD at Purdue, I believe. And the other guy I reconnected with was Dr. Laron Schultz. He was my favorite theology professor in seminary. Schultz knew everything about everything, but he was, of course, a, a, an expert in uh, Christian theology, but also anthropology. So both Laron and Jeff had huge hearts and minds for God. And I was always reassured uh, that even if I couldn't really understand all the reasons to believe in God, Laron and Jeff and others did. Well, you probably know where the story is going. Several years ago, within the span of a, just a few weeks, I actually reconnected with both these guys on social media and found that in the intervening years since we had last spoken, both, both Jeff and Leron had given up their faith. They now identify as an atheist or agnostic, depending on how you would define the term. To use the popular term of art today, they have both deconstructed. Now, we'll talk about why in a second, but first, put yourself in my shoes. Empathize. Two of the smartest Christians I had ever known had essentially decided that the most fundamental fact of existence was not even true, that God did not exist. I was rocked. Who am I to disagree, I wondered. How can little old Matt be right while, like, Jeff and Ron can be wrong? I didn't, my brain didn't even think that was possible. And besides which, if I'm wrong, what do I do? I'm a pastor. Pastors aren't even supposed to, like, consider the possibility that there is no God. Now, I'll fast forward a lot <laughs> and tell you that I believe in God. I believe in God and Jesus as the sign and the reality of the Holy Spirit and the authority of Scripture more deeply than I ever have. But it was not without some rocky years as I wrestled with the difficulties of faith. Despite what you might have been led to believe, faith can be hard. Belief can be hard even for pastors and that's okay. Having doubts and questions does not mean that you are possessed by the devil. Back to Jeff and Leron, though, what happened? Well, I actually reached out to both of them. I, I, I had an ongoing email dialogue with both of them for a while. I wanted to respectfully understand what took them in the direction they went. I didn't want to be you know, too bothered by their deconstruction, not to be afraid to engage them. I wanted to love my neighbors. So I wanted to understand them. And I found that their reasons for rejecting Christian faith were many, but in both cases, it all started with science. You see, skeptics say that science seems to offer a better explanation of the world than God does. And that's the first objection that we're going to consider in our series. Science offers a better explanation of the world than God. In the ancient past, you see, the world was so big 
and so complex and so beautiful and so intricate that people just presumed that it had to be created by God. They could not come up with any other explanation. They didn't even feel like they needed to come up with any other explanation. So given his creative power, God alone was worthy of worship. And we see this in scripture as the prophet Isaiah writes, lift up your eyes, just look at the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power, because of his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So God was responsible for every star they thought, every mountain, every wave on the ocean, every tree. This belief that God created the natural world went further, though. Ancient people didn't just think that God created the natural world. They believed that God was behind the natural world. In other words, God was understood to be the cause of natural events, weather events, astronomical events, even historical events, comets, eclipses. This is what uh, God did. Plagues. People back then didn't understand what caused earthquakes. So when an earthquake happened, they just figured that that God or the gods must have done something for some reason, usually as an act of punishment against a disobedient populace. Slowly, though, science began filling in our knowledge on the cause of these events. People who studied these things realized that earthquakes, for example, are, are not the result of angry deities, but shifting tectonic plates. Thunderstorms, lightning bolts are not the angels bowling in heaven, but electronic discharges resulting from an imbalance in charge between clouds or the earth and the atmosphere. Now, even as science was making advances, Christians and other religious people pointed out that science still cannot explain everything. So even as our scientific knowledge grew, there were still what came to be known as gaps. Sir Isaac Newton, for example, maybe you studied Isaac Newton in high school. Uh, He studied the movement of the stars in the night sky. It was well understood that the night sky seemed to rotate, the stars seemed to rotate fairly predictably. But there were these, these wandering stars whose movements could not be explained. Planets, they came to be called, because the word planet means wanderer. So these wandering stars just kind of moved all over the sky without any predictability or explanation. So in the planets, Newton believed that he had detected a gap in the natural world that only God could fill. So sure, he understood how the stars generally moved, but even then there were some some stars, some, some planets whose movements he couldn't explain. He took this, Newton did, as evidence for God. God filled in the gap. God is the God of the gap, so we need God. But then, science provided an explanation for the gap. Someone came along and explained, you know, that the the, the planets are actually on elliptical orbits, which explains their unpredictable movements in the sky. We don't need God to explain something that science has now explained. We don't need the God of the gaps. Over the centuries, science has proven to be amazing at explaining the natural world. Many scientists say that science will continue to be very good at explaining things that we don't understand. And to be sure, there is an awful lot of things that we still don't understand. In fact, Christians point to these things that we don't understand and say that these mysteries 
are evidence of God's existence. For example, where did the universe come from? How did there came to be life? Why does the universe seem so perfectly suited for human life? These are all questions that science has not answered. They are gaps in our understanding of the universe. So religious people note these gaps, these mysteries, and say, See? See? We have no explanation for the origin of life. God must have done it. God must have filled in the gaps. Our faith is saved. But what do scientists say? How do scientists respond? They will say, just hold on there. We will someday figure that out. We will fill in that gap. We have filled in these gaps before. Science has filled in these gaps, many gaps in our knowledge base, gaps that we once used to justify God's existence. And when scientific research does fill in the gap, what will we have? They say we will have less reason to believe in the almighty deity. So when my friend and professor, Jeff and Laurent, saw how science offered a better explanation for the way the world is and had an explanation better than God, to them, it was the beginning of the end. Now, to be sure, they have other reasons for rejecting Christianity. Neither of them are big fans of a lot of the stuff that you read in the Old Testament, for example. We'll talk about some of that stuff. But it all started with the explanatory power of science. Now, what do we make of that argument? It's a legitimate argument. Plenty of people follow it. Smart people. In fact, belief in God is fairly low in the scientific community because of arguments like this. A very high percentage of scientists don't actually believe in God. In a survey from 2009, which I know is a an old survey, but it still holds, I believe. In a survey from 2009, only 51% of scientists said they believe in God or any higher power. 51% of scientists said they believe in God or a higher power. By comparison, 95% of Americans said they believe in God or higher power. 51% to 95% of people. Now, of course, there's a lot of pressure in the scientific community to not believe in God. If you're caught believing in God in many scientific institutions, uh, you, you can be fired for a lack of objectivity. So there's a lot of pressure in scientific institutions to stay in the closet as believers. That problem aside, though, what do we make of the argument? Does science offer a better explanation for the world and how it works than God does? Did science kill God? Well, people who believe in God would respond to the scientific argument in lots of ways. Let me go ahead and give you four of their responses this morning. And I know this might be a little heady for you this morning, but this is one of those weeks where you're just going to have to use your brain. As opposed to the other weeks where apparently you don't need to use your brain. (laughs) First, responders to the scientific argument would say, first of all, Christianity does not define God exclusively as the one responsible for natural events. Christianity does not define God exclusively as the one responsible for natural events. You see, part of the problem here is that over the years, people have understood God to be the one who causes things to happen in the natural world. Storms, planetary movements, eclipses. When scientists offer plausible explanations for those events, our grounds for belief seem to shrink as those gaps get filled in. God doesn't seem to do anything in the world anymore, so without God doing things, they say, we have just less need for him. But that was always a poor way of understanding God in the first place. 
according to our beliefs, God isn't just the one who acts in the world. And don't get me wrong, I believe that God does actually act in the world. But God isn't just that. God is the one who calls the universe into existence. God transcends the universe. As Paul writes in Colossians, he is before all things, and in him old, all hold things hold together. Our reasons for belief in God go deeper than him maybe causing eclipses. It's kind of like a bridge. Say that you're out on a trip across the country and you come across a really impressive bridge. You wondered who made this bridge. Maybe the bridge god just kind of assembled it and placed it there for you to use to help you get across the river. But then you look into it. Upon investigation, you learn that a construction crew had been there years before. They poured the pylons. They hoisted the cables. They laid the deck. You even learned the name of the architect who designed the bridge. You learned all that information. Here's how the bridge came to exist. Have you explained away God? No. How did the supplies come to exist with which to build the bridge? How came to exist the laws of physics which allowed the bridge to work? How does life exist which builds and crosses bridges in the first place? Explaining the bridge in no way explains away God. God is the source of all that transcends the world. Basically, science might explain how things happen in the natural world, but it cannot explain why we even have a natural world. Those are different questions. So Christianity does not define exclusively as the cause of natural events. Our God, the God we worship, is much bigger than that. He transcends the very notion of size. So Christianity does not define God exclusively as the cause of natural events. Secondly, there are some historical events that it is reasonable to conclude have a supernatural explanation. There are some historical events that it is reasonable to conclude have a supernatural ex- uh, explanation. Yes, science has proven its ability to explain why certain events happen. But there are some events that seem to defy stubbornly naturalistic explanation. A naturalistic explanation is something natural in the world that causes a natural event. And if these certain events that seem to defy naturalistic naturalistic explanation have no explanation, it requires a supernatural explanation, and supernatural explanations require a supernatural cause, which is basically God. Take, for example, the creation of life from non-living matter. The origin of life from non-living chemicals is one of the great mysteries of science. It is just not understood how free-floating chemical compounds sitting in pools on the surface of the earth millions and millions of years ago organized into the intricate reproducing chemical structures required for the building blocks of life and seemingly did so uh, contrary to the laws of physics, namely entropy, which stipulates that things move from more to less organized states. So anyway, this question on the origin of life has been investigated for many, many years. How did non-living matter produce living cells? How did ammonia result in this? I mean, that's the question, right? (laughs) How did this happen? (laughs) Even many atheist scientists admit that we are no closer, we are no closer to understanding how life formed from non-living matter than we were many decades ago. Even many atheists admit it kind of looks like a miracle. Now, is it? 
Does that mean that God did it? Does it mean God exists? Not necessarily. This might just be one of those gaps that science eventually fills in with more data. Most scientists will insist we will someday learn how life came from non-life. Maybe we will, but maybe we won't. You can't just assume that everything has a naturalistic cause. If we want to be intellectually honest, we have to open up our minds to the possibility that God exists beyond the universe and occasionally gets involved. Intellectual honesty requires that we be open to that possibility. Maybe we will never discover the natural explanation for how life came to exist. Besides which, there are other events in the world that also have no naturalistic explanation. I'm speaking, of course, on the life, miracles, and the resurrection of Jesus. These are historical events. People from the first century truly believe that they saw Jesus perform many miracles and then raised from the dead after being killed. Now, skeptics, scientists say, well, that's just a gap in our knowledge. There are naturalistic, possible naturalistic explanations for how Jesus might have done miracles or how he seems to have risen from the dead. Maybe Jesus faked the miracles, they said. Maybe the disciples stole the body. Maybe Jesus wasn't even dead. But on inspection, all those theories are fantastically weak. After 2,000 years of historical scientific investigation, the most, if you want to be open-minded about it, the most plausible explanation of the resurrection of Jesus is that God did it. Now, we're going to talk a lot about the resurrection over the course of the series, so I'll just leave it there. But my point here is that science has gotten us very far in understanding the natural world, but stuff has happened in our universe that seems to defy a naturalistic explanation. We call these things miracles. This requires a supernatural explanation, and a supernatural explanation requires a supernatural cause, which is basically God. So what else would we say in response to the science argument? Well, thirdly, we'd say that science cannot answer some of our biggest questions. Science cannot answer some of our biggest questions. Science is only one path to enlightenment, one path to understanding. We live in a very science-minded society, though. Scientists are often given unquestioned credibility and authority in our culture. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of science. I mean, my dad and I grew up doing science fair projects together. Anybody else grew up doing science fair projects together with their mom and their dad? Yeah, we were a big science family. We set up a pendulum to confirm the rotation of the earth in case there was any doubt of that. We uh, researched air pressure. Uh, we uh, uh, researched the position of the North Star. We investigated the phylotaxy of the ficus decora plant. We, we're all in on science. I'm, I'm wearing my NASA t-shirt here this morning to prove my science bona fides. This is scientific proof of my expertise, my t-shirt. It's that simple, right? Just wear a t-shirt. You're an expert. But science is only one way of investigating the world. It can't help us with all our questions and it really can't help us with the most important ones. Basically, science has limits. Uh, science requires, for example, results to be repeatable. Uh, science cannot tell us what is, what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. And, and while science can describe things, it actually can't really do a very good job explaining them. It, it doesn't do a very good job explaining cause or intention. It just describes what happens. Uh, in his short book, uh, Can Science Explain Everything? For example, Oxford mathematician John C. Lennox offers a good example of this. Suppose you are in the kitchen and you find a kettle of tea boiling on the stove. You ask, why is this water boiling? 
Now, scientists would say, well, you know, that the, the heat energy from the flame is being conducted through the copper base of the kettle, is agitating the molecules of the water. That's one explanation, but what's another explanation? Well, maybe your wife is thirsty. Science is good at investigating how things happen, but not really why things happen in a much deeper, more fundamental way. And this is important because the matter of belief in God deals with questions that science does not have the tools to ask. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why are we here? What's important? What's good? What's bad? The questions that we get up in the morning wondering are not necessarily ones that science can answer. I was just reading uh, the book of Micah in the Old Testament the other day and came across a couple questions that a scientist cannot really help me with. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? What does the Lord require of me? That's not a question science can help with. These are questions that philosophers and theologians have their own better tools to ask and answer. Religious faith is, in fact, much more philosophical than scientific. Science doesn't have the tools to ask those questions. But in our science-minded society, we think science is the primary path to all forms of knowledge. But that's not science. That's actually scientism. There's a difference between practicing good science and practicing scientism, which is worshiping science and religion. It's like the old story that you might have heard before. Uh, a policeman uh, sees a drunk man searching for something under a streetlight and asks what the drunk guy has lost. The guy says, well, I lost my keys. And they both look under the streetlight together. And after a few minutes, the policeman asks if he is sure that he lost them here. And the drunk replies, no, I actually lost them in the park. The policeman asks, well, why are we searching here then? And the drunk guy says, well, this is where the light is. Science is amazing at shedding light on a certain cone of problems, but there are questions about life and the universe that lie outside what the light of science can show us. Science is powerful but limited. So does science offer a better explanation of the world than God? No, because one, God is not merely defined as the cause of natural events. Two, there are some events that science can't reasonably explain. Thirdly, science cannot answer some of our biggest questions. And finally... Fourthly, science actually has confirmed some of Christianity's claims. Science has confirmed some of our claims. You see, after listening to this message this morning, you, you might think that science and faith are at odds. And I can understand why you think that. Even before Darwin hit the scene in the 19th century, the science and religion battles were in full force, even before the days of Galileo. And I think this is unfortunate. I earnestly believe that science needs faith and faith needs science. Even Albert Einstein, who is no Christian, thought the same. Einstein famously said, science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. In fact, modern science was established on the belief that the world is comprehensible because it was created by God who gave it predictability and order. Science assumes that the universe makes sense and believes the universe makes sense because of the convictions of theologians from centuries ago. Most of science's earliest heroes were theologians and believers. Science works because of the contributions of theology. Science needs God. It always has. It always will. On the flip side, though, faith needs science. I know there's a lot of suspicion of science among religious people. Maybe even some of you witnessed the vaccine and mask battles of the past two years and the evolution and climate change battles. 
I know that to many Christians, scientists feel like the enemy, but that's unfortunate because they're not. If anything, science has expanded our ability to serve the poor and worship God in all his beauty and power. As the psalmist writes, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? He's just looking up in the sky, seeing everything up there, and wondering, who am I that you care for me? Imagine what he'd written if he had a telescope. Oh my God. That's what the psalmist said. OMG. The more we know about the universe, the more glorious God appears and the more significant we are. One of the most exciting things, I think, to happen last week, for example, was the launch of the James Webb Telescope. Is anybody else aware of the launch of the James Webb Telescope? This is a really exciting thing for humanity. It's the largest orbiting telescope ever built. It launched last week. It will allow us to see further in the past than humans ever have. Who knows what mysteries and beauties of God's good creation will get sent back to us. Christians don't need to be afraid of science. In fact, the more fearful we are of science, the more we alienate ourselves from the world we are trying to serve. Among the many reasons that young people are leaving Christianity and the church, the perception that Christians are anti-science is chief among them. According to a recent study, study three out of ten young people who leave the Christian church say that churches are out of step with the scientific world we live in. Another quarter of young people who leave the church say that Christianity is anti-science. This is tragic. Science is our friend. It's a gift from God to learn about his world and worship him in his glory. And to my point, science also confirms many of the claims of religion. I mean, what is science? Science is the process of investigating the world in which we live through observation and experimentation. That's what science is. It's the process of understanding the world we live through uh, investigation, observation and experimentation. And this might surprise you, but the, the Bible is filled with science. In the book of Daniel, for example, small example, the prophet and his friends, Daniel and his friends, are stuck in Babylon under the, the, the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe you know the story. The king orders Daniel to eat unhealthy food and wine, which is the official Babylonian diet. Daniel, though, is committed to Jewish kosher laws, and he insists that they're going to be healthier if they stick to vegetables and water, like God says. The king agrees to this, ex this experiment, this science experiment, promising to kill Daniel if it doesn't work, so that would stink. But after 10 days, Daniel is healthier and better nourished than any of the king's men. Science saved his life. In the book of Genesis, the author records that all of the universe was created at a solitary moment in a single act. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the author writes. That idea that the universe had a single starting point actually ran against much of the world's beliefs and many scientists. For the longest time, scientists believed that the universe was eternal and that it just always existed. The Bible hypothesized that it had an actual beginning. Eventually, scientists concluded that, contrary to earlier beliefs, the universe did have an actual beginning. In the Big Bang, 13.8 billions of years ago, science confirmed what the Bible taught. And in the first century, rumors of Jesus' miracles and resurrection had started to swirl around Palestine and all of the Roman Empire. People had questions, people had doubts. One such researcher, a guy named Luke, decided to do his own investigation, part scientific, part his history, to see what truly happened. So he did the research. 
As he writes at the beginning of his letter, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. To Luke, science and history confirmed what he had heard about Jesus. Science can confirm the truthfulness of religious claims. Now, just to keep it real, that's not always the case. The effectiveness of prayer, for example, has been investigated by scientists and the results are inconclusive at best. So the testability of faith is not an open and shut case, but in important ways, science concludes what Christians claim. John Lennox makes this very point, and I'll leave you with this. Lennox tells a story that he was, uh, a couple years ago, lecturing at a major U.S. university on the credibility of the Christian faith. Towards the end of the lecture, a young man in the balcony stood up and started yelling. I mean, that's, you can do that too here if you want. <laughs> stood up and started yelling, look at me, look at me. Everybody in the audience was startled, looked up in the balcony. John Lennox asked, and why should we look at you? The student went on to shout to those in the hall, six months ago, my life was a mess. I had no peace. I saw no way out. I was taken to a lecture. You gave at another university, and something you said triggered a response in me. A few weeks later, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Just look at me now. The man radiated joy and hope that everyone in the room could see. His life had turned around in a mere six months. His changed life was what? It was evidence demonstrating the plausibility of what Jesus had said. And what did Jesus say? In the Gospel of John, chapter 7, Jesus said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will, will flow from within them. Jesus made a prediction. Jesus made a hypothesis, and this man was offering confirming evidence. Now, are there other possible explanations for this young man's new state? Could it be some psychological conversions? Could it be some manner of self-protection? Sure. But we have no reason to also conclude that it couldn't just be God. That's at least a valid hypothesis. In fact, a more plausible explanation. It could be God doing what God does best. And what does God do best? God gives people hope. God gives people joy. God gives people life that occasionally makes you want to stand up in the balcony. Many of us know that hope. We know that joy. We know that life. We are evidence. What are we? We are evidence that God is real and Jesus is his son. And you can know that hope and joy too. You can know it through faith, but you can know it through science. You can see the stars and galaxies through the telescope and realize the power of God to save you from your sin. You can see the intricacy of living things through microscopes and discover the ability of God to make all things work together, including your life. You can research the forces of nature and come to worship the God who is more powerful than all of them. Faith can lead you to God, but so can science. And how much more so can faith and science together lead us to the God of glory and the creator of all?